Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Olivia. She is a mother of two, passionate about empowering women through their birth experiences, believing that mental, physical, and spiritual health interplay to create our overall well-being. So hello, Olivia. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes. So can you first start off by telling a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. So I'm a new doula. I've been a doula for about a year now. Um, I have two children. I have a three-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter. And I have a husband who's training himself to be a vegan chef. (laughs) So yeah, that's about me. I'm totally a birth junkie. I love everything about birth and women's health and all that good stuff. All right. A vegan chef. Will he deliver? Can we get these meals delivered? (laughs) I don't know how far it will go. Right now, we've been brainstorming. I mean, it's just a casual thing. It's not anything like super serious. But he is a really good cook and um, a really good chef. But we're thinking about a food truck. Yes. Yeah. I'm all about a food truck. Where are you guys located? Right now, we live in PG County in Maryland. So this kind of like 30 minutes outside of D.C. Okay. So all y'all D.C. folks, be on the lookout for a food truck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll see what happens. (laughs) All right. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancies? Yes. So my first pregnancy was interesting. So I was very mentally detached because I was in my last year of college. And everybody knows that last year of college is like fight for your life. So you can get out of there on time. And it's so much work. So that entire pregnancy, I literally got pregnant um, over the summer. And then I came back senior year and I was about uh, two or three months pregnant. So I, I spent a majority of my pregnancy at school and I had to like go back and forth a lot to go to doctor's appointments and stuff like that. But generally my brain was so focused on school. I don't really feel like I soaked up the, um, beauty of being pregnant. I would just more so like get it done mode. Mm-hmm. And then with my second pregnancy, I was kind of starting to dibble and dabble into, I guess, what you would call like spirituality or just different modalities of um, tapping into yourself. And so I started looking into like yoga and learning about like the chakras and um, affirmations and all these different things. And at the same time, I was also learning a lot about pregnancy and birth because I was just like fascinated. So I was six months pregnant and then I was like, I think I want to be a doula. So I took my training while I was pregnant and that was a lot of fun because I was much more healthier that pregnancy, much more mindful. So it was like day and night with the two pregnancies. Yeah. Yeah. And I I feel like (laughs) when you hear people who have had multiple children um, and many of us like who get into the birth world, how things shift for our other pregnancies. Um. (laughs) It was a huge shift because I literally was like, 
my first pregnancy, I didn't, I didn't even read a book, an article, nothing. Like I watched a couple YouTube videos and I was like, I'm good. I'm good. And then with the second pregnancy, it was like so much information that I was learning. It was so transformative. And even down to just being healthier, like I went more plant-based. I was just much more hydrated and people were saying oh you're having a boy because your last pregnancy you had a girl and you like blew up and you were big and swollen and you didn't want to move this the second pregnancy I was like literally like basketball (laughs) (laughs) that was it I hadn't even gained that much weight and everybody was like oh it's a boy it's a boy and it was a girl so it was like it just showed me how different things can be if you make those small changes Right. Absolutely. And we, I don't think we talk enough about, um, I mean, we know, we know, but we don't talk enough about diet, like how important your diet is in general, but especially when you're pregnant. Um, you know, people are like, oh, I'm eating for two so I can eat whatever I want. And it's like, no, you still have to be very mindful about what types of food the both of y'all are eating. Exactly. Um, That's such like I was actually gonna do a post about that today. Like it's, it's an unpopular opinion, but it's like pregnancy is not an excuse for you to like have a milkshake every day, right? Or, like fries every day. It's just not. <laughs> really hurting yourself that's the thing people think it's like oh i i need this but you're really hurting yourself in the long run yeah yeah it, it goes it starts with like a oh i really want this this is just a treat and then it becomes i deserve this deserve bad health okay <laughs> crazy like especially during pregnancy you get addicted to it like the sugar yes and the, just the dopamine rush is, yes, mm-hmm. it's hard to kick the habit. <laughs> okay, Olivia. Um, so we talked a little bit about this, but one of our questions we usually ask is just in how did you prepare for each pregnancy? And was this something that you were thinking about all along the way? With the first pregnancy, um, I didn't really internalize what it would mean to actually physically birth a baby. Like I heard, you know, the horror stories from people in my family. And then I was also seeing like things on the internet about having like a painless birth or whatever. So in my mind, I literally was like, okay, if I don't think about it being painful, if I don't think about birth, everything will be fine. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the problem with that was I didn't, I didn't do anything to learn about comfort measures or that there were things that were non-invasive, non-medical things that you could do to, mm-hmm. you know, get through labor. I watched a couple videos um, when I was at the very end of my pregnancy, but that was it. I literally did not do anything, and that birth turned out to be really long and really hard mm-hmm. um, and really frustrating at some points because, like I said, I had nothing. But with the second pregnancy – because I had been through that experience and I knew it was only a year later. So I was like, that, that, that pain was still fresh. <laughs> I didn't right. <laughs> still had a real clear memory. <laughs> yeah, literally the second that I saw the, the pregnancy test was positive. I was like, time to get on the blogs, the podcast, the books, all of it. And pretty mm-hmm. much every day for about um, a month, probably when I was three months pregnant. Every day I would listen to a podcast 
and I just became obsessed. <laughs> so I just, I kept reading and learning. And then eventually I took my doula training and that was super transformative. Um, so yeah, definitely night and day with my preparation. And then I also did a lot of mental preparation. I did affirmations. I meditated. Um, I started to really have like this positive self-talk um, All right. out of my head. And I listened to uh, guided meditations. And I started actually having dreams about my birth being like breezy and painless. So it was a huge difference. I can imagine. Um, I know that's something that, you know, Laura and I are both doulas as well. And I always tell moms, like, they're like, first thing they want to say is, I want a natural birth. And I always tell them, we can do a whole lot of things, but if it's not in your mind to do it and you haven't prepared yourself mentally to do it, I can do everything under the sun and it's not going to matter. (laughs) So it really starts in the mind and just realizing that you do control all of it, even though a lot of things are, you know, it's parts of, of course, you can't control, but you do control, you know, so you control how you respond to things. And that's, you know, that's kind of the biggest part of it, even if you don't know what your body's going to do from one minute to the next. But if you're paying attention close enough, you do, you kind of do, you know, a lot of moms like you're like, no, you can you can guide it. You know when to go to the hospital after you have given yourself this education, you know, or, or learning yourself again in a way that you haven't had to before. Oh, yeah. So can you describe your birth experience to us, our audience? Yes. Okay. So the the first one, this is probably, they're both good stories. Um, good. But, so the first one with my oldest daughter, I went into labor. And of course, I was, you know, new to what labor was all about. So I probably was in early labor all day. And then once it became nighttime, that's when active labor started, or I'll call it hard labor. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I was like, we got to go to the hospital. I mean, the birth center right now, because I feel like I'm about to have this baby. And so my (laughs) husband was like, okay, okay, come on, let's go. And, you know, I just, I really thought I was getting ready to have the baby in the middle of the kitchen floor. (laughs) We took the 30 minute ride to the birth center. We got there and I was only two centimeters. And I remember like, shedding a tear because I was like, WTF, like, (laughs) (laughs) we got a ways to go. (laughs) And the car ride there was horrendous, horrendous. Okay. So she looks at me and she's like, you're only two centimeters, but you're doing really good. And, you know, everything she said to me just was so encouraging. But again, I was just like, how long is this going to take? We're not going back home. And she was looking at me like, well, I can't let you in the birth center yet because it's a really small birth center. You had to be like four or five centimeters at least. And I'm looking at my husband like, you better magically make the house appear right here because I'm not (laughs) getting back in the car. And so she's like, okay, calm down. It's a little like hotel motel kind of thing across the street. And maybe y'all can check in there and stay there for a while and then come back. So that's what we did. And it ended up being really a good decision because I live with my in-laws. And it was a lot of people in the house at the time. And I really am big on privacy. So I'm happy it turned out that way so people weren't bugging me. So I stayed there. And I was in labor for 17 hours. And I literally 
not over exaggerating, I was on my hands and knees for probably 15 hours. <laughs> oh, wow. Just rocking back and forth, praying, calling on the birth gods, crying, trying to sleep, waking back up. Um, because I just didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of the little, little tiny things that I learned in my birth class, they just, I forgot all about them. Mm-hmm. So we went back. I got checked again. At that point, I think I was around four centimeters. So then I broke down again, cried again, went back to the room again, um, stayed there until the morning time. That's when my husband looked at me and he was like, after a couple hours, I think something is shifting. Let's go check. And he Mm -hmm. was spot on because then I got checked and I was like eight and a half or something like that. Oh, wow. Let me in the birth center and I got in the tub. And now that I know more about birth, I think I was in transition. Well, I think I transitioned and then I was in that kind of quietude space. I just Mm -hmm. relaxed and I took a little bit of a nap. Woke up, pushed for 30 minutes. She wasn't coming out. And then my midwife looked at me like, do you want to have this baby? And I was like, yes. And I like pushed her out in that <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> one moment. And it was great because it was over. And then the crazy part is that she came like a couple of days before her due date. And on the way home, there was a blizzard. So we literally got home probably like a few hours before the blizzard got really bad and mm-hmm. we were slowed in for almost an entire month. Wow. So if we on her due date, we all would have been snowed in. It would have been a home birth. Yeah. <laughs> so that was crazy. And then with my second one, essentially because I was so prepared, um, things went a lot, lot faster. And I had actually not planned too well for my second birth because I was really busy and I was kind of stressed out. And I just kept saying, people were asking me in my training, like, where are you going to have the baby? Um, And I said, I don't know, because I had risked out of the uh, birth center because I had missed taking a couple tests and I took them late. And so because of that, because of how it would look on paper and liability and stuff like that, they told me I couldn't come. And that was really upsetting for me because mm-hmm. I delivered my first baby there. And I'm like, y'all know me. I've been yeah. stressed out. My husband was um, in a different state at the time. So I was by myself with my one-year-old. And I'm like, oh, give me a break. Like, I'm trying to keep it together here. But they told me I couldn't have my baby in the birth center. So I was just like, I'm just going to have the baby wherever I'm at. If I'm at home, that's what I'm at. <laughs> If I'm here, my doula training, that's where I'm having the baby. And literally, I kept saying that. Uh. <laughs> and I had um, a person at my training. She was a midwife. And she said, you know, I can do, your, if you want to have a home birth, you can come to my house and do your home birth there if you feel comfortable. And I was like, that sounds great. The only nuance was that I had GBS. And so okay. since it was so late in my pregnancy when I figured all this stuff out, she was like, you know, you can go to the hospital and try and get the um, antibiotics while you're early in labor and then, you know, come to me or we can try to figure something out to get this orchestrated. But essentially, my labor went so fast. I went to the hospital to get the antibiotics. They didn't want to give it to me. I went back and forth with the care providers for probably about two or three hours. And then finally I was like, mm-hmm. I'm 
So I walk out and we get to the car. I'm in transition. And it's rush hour. So it was like there was no chance of us making it anywhere. So we turned right back around, <laughs> walked right back into the hospital. And literally, I, I had to walk right past the desk. I didn't even get checked into the hospital. I just beelined it for a room. And mm-hmm. all the nurses just were like swooshing around me like, just get her to the room. <laughs> And you could tell have a baby in the hallway. <laughs> right. Tell <laughs> when a woman is like in that grunty, pushy phase of yeah. like and this woman is looking at me like, come on, you need to get in the room. And I'm looking at her like, stop, you need to be quiet. <laughs> so I finally get into the room and literally within like two minutes of being in that room, she was born. Wow. Free clothes on. So <laughs> It, that one was that was crazy, but it was good because the labor was so much shorter, and I was just like zend out, and it wasn't it wasn't painful. It was yeah. just intense, but not painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting about like people where people are on the fence of like cervical checks because I they can either be make it or break it moments, mm-hmm. um. And there's some people who need to have those checks, um, I think, to help them know where they're going. But then it's like, you really think you're like, oh, yeah, I know I'm five or six centimeters. This is, you know, we've been working. And you get there like, oh, you one centimeter. What? (laughs) (laughs) But it was so intense. (laughs) I was like, you know what? I don't want any checks. Yes. I don't even want to think about numbers. I don't want to be thinking about time. I don't want to be trying to be in my analytical mind. I just want to go for the ride. And I knew, okay, I kept telling myself, it won't be more than 17 hours. Like, I know that for sure. (laughs) Because it's going to get shorter with each baby. So I didn't get any exams. And the icing on the cake when we were at the hospital, and I did most of my labor in triage because I had not gotten checked in. And they were telling me, like, you know, you've been in labor for a while. Maybe we should look at doing an augmentation. And I was like, what? I'm out of (laughs) here. This is just not happening. And, And... I mean, I am a crunchy, crunchy person. I'm very, like, woo-woo with the universe and all that stuff. So I know I made personal decisions that I probably wouldn't have recommended maybe to a client or something Mm -hmm. like that. But, yeah, for me personally, I was just like, I don't want to be messed with. I don't want to medicalize birth. Mm -hmm. I actually cried walking into the hospital. I was crying like I don't want to have my baby in the hospital but yeah it all worked out and something I think like we miss because it was interesting when you said all those little pieces of my childbirth ed class I forgot Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think something we miss from a lot of like you know childbirth education classes is really like teaching families and, and birthing people to listen to their bodies. Like if you are more in tune to following the rhythm of your body and, and, and I think if we have like, you know, and I love this, you know, social media is doing this and that we are being able to, to show what birth looks like a lot more. You can see the different phases and, and see what that looks like, what that sounds like, what the body does during those different phases to know, like I'm in transition because it's that more like deep moaning 
guttural feeling, um, mm-hmm. that people are able to do that a lot more than relying on cervical tricks and having someone tell them they're this or that. And that's why, you know, also laboring at home, if you do decide to have a hospital birth is so important because it gives you that space to just follow your intuition. Yeah. Um, instead of constantly having somebody like, it's been three hours. Right. Let's right. do a and cervical right. check. <laughs> I really feel like our medical culture is failing us in that area because they're just not taking responsibility for the research that has been coming out about mind-body connection. And at this point, it's like, it's the, there's no argument. We know about the mind-body connection. We know it's real. We know that if you think a certain type of thought, you can trigger certain chemicals and certain hormones in your brain. So it really frustrates me when I see like nurses asking questions like, how is your pain level? Are you ready for an epidural? It's like, ah, like we have got <laughs> We have got to start reforming the medical culture. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. And I think maybe, you know, with the next generations, people will, will begin to, to change a little bit more. Absolutely. I and I love that you say them taking responsibility because for some people, having a hospital birth is what, what their story is for them. And that's totally fine. But you're, it is the care provider's responsibility to to understand the research and understand like what's best for a family. And they're not doing that. Um, there are some, but you're so right. It is their responsibility so that families can't have the best possible experience. Um, and then I think about um, your part where you said you risked out of the birth center. And yeah. I feel like we hear that so often with people not being able to get to all the appointments that they may need to for various reasons. And then that's the reason they get cut off from an experience that might've still been possible, but it's just because of an appointment that they're now not able to get that. And to me, I'm like, that's trash. Can we start meeting people at home? Like, can we, where is the like compromise, the accessibility piece? I don't want to speak on a global level or um, a nationwide level, but that's Mm -hmm. the part that frustrates me about midwives because you never know if you're going to get that midwife who is like really a midwife or you're going to get that midwife who's what they call a medwife, like a medical mm-hmm. midwife. Mm-hmm. And I didn't put the pieces of the puzzle together, but my birth center um, was connected to a hospital. And so I had actually walked in and I had seen in the hospital my midwife. And I was scratching my head because I'm like, why are you in here? Don't you work in the birth <laughs> And I'm pretty sure when I looked on her tag, I may have been seeing stuff. But when I looked on her name tag, it said OBGYN. And I was like, am I just seeing stuff or does that say OB? But I didn't put things together that, you know, a lot of midwives that work in hospitals, they're not able to fully step into that midwifery role Mm -hmm. because under a medical institution that doesn't Mm -hmm. even really support midwifery. So... We definitely have a lot of work to do. Yes. And it's definitely something, just like we said, that taking that responsibility um, with the midwife groups that do work in hospitals, they have to have the support they need to be a true midwife. Right. Um, They have to be under the doctors here in our state. Um, And you can see the differences in practices. Like there's one practice where, Yes, the midwife has bedside manner and she's actually there while you're laboring. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then there's others where 
the midwife is in the hall watching the monitor with the nurses. Like, yep. you're in the wrong place, boo. your clients in here your patient is in here trying to figure out if she's going to end up having a cesarean and you're watching the monitor Mm -hmm. i've even heard someone say that you can tell when a midwife was a doula before they came became a midwife because Mm. the energy that they carry and the way that they support the mom is so much um different than somebody who just straight off the bat became a midwife, not to make the blanket statement about everyone, mm-hmm. but right. the general idea that like, I think we've just sucked out the, the life of birth. Like we don't respect it as a, yes, a physical event, but also a spiritual event. Mm-hmm. And like, just like how there's a certain energy when you do spiritual or I guess religious things, there's a certain energy about birth that we have totally neglected. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's so important that when people are thinking about their care providers, they do their research. Like you said, you don't know, like if you are having midwives in a hospital, like ask people about how those midwives were. Um, Even if you have a midwife that's doing a home birth, like it's so important to not just be like, okay, this is the, my care provider, but asking questions in the same way you, you know, interview your doula or you interview other pe- people to take care of your children. Or that's the same way you have to, to think about your birthing team as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this is something I actually like wrote about this when I was in college that I think collectively, <clears throat> you know, Western, the Western mindset is there are certain like entities and institutions that are put in place to protect me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not supposed to go in there with certain desires. I'm supposed to go in there and fall in line. And so instead mm. of people saying, oh, like maybe I should choose my OB and choose my midwife wisely and choose someone who lines up with my goals, people look at it from a sense of you're almost doing me a favor by taking care of me. So I'm just going to be quiet. I'm not going to speak against you. And I really feel like it has to do with this um, level of fear that people carry in themselves. And so I don't have to be worried about my baby because you're the professional and you're the responsibility. And if something happens, it's going to be your fault. And I feel like that's why, that's why we're so disconnected. You know, a lot of moms who have home births or free births, they have to accept the responsibility. Like, you know, I can't be afraid. You know, whatever happens, it's on me versus putting it on like this big institution. Yeah, for sure. Um, So can we talk a little bit about your postpartum? How was postpartum for you for both births? Um, They were pretty similar. I... I dealt with a lot of guilt because I'm not the type of individual who just lays around and like chillaxes. I'm very busybody, very like, what's the next thing? Where's the next place that we're going? And so it was difficult for me to just sink into that like new mommy, newborn goodness because I just felt lazy Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to deal with that. And it was also coupled with, you know, both of my pregnancies, uh, we're not planned. <laughs> I don't want, I don't like saying it like that. Yeah. Like, they were planned. They were just planned in a different type of way. Um, <laughs> like, you know, in the spiritual world. Yeah, yeah. But 
yeah, they were both welcome surprises. And I think the postpartum period brought up those emotions of it's not fair for me to ask for help or it's not fair for me to lean on other people so that I can rest um, or things like that because this baby was not planned for and I'm just like, I don't want to be a burden on someone else. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't that celebratory energy that sometimes you get after having a baby where it's just Mm -hmm. like, everything is just like, oh my God, we having a baby. It was like, oh my God, like I have a baby. And I'm exhausted, but I also like don't want to face the fact that I'm exhausted. I just want to keep like being who I was when I was in college, being that same person. And, you know, I had dealt with the same thing in my second postpartum stage, but my husband, he really like, he really rescued me with that one because he already had seen it with the first one. Mm -hmm. And so with the second one, he literally just was like, hand and foot like whatever you need I got it I'm cooking dinner I'm cooking breakfast like you know I will take the the one-year-old up and we'll hang out over here so you can get some quiet time you know just he really set the scene for me and there were days that I struggled to accept his help Mm -hmm. but days that I did accept it I was like wow this is so much better this is so much love and action Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm And it's, it's so, I think we sometimes forget about, for, for those of us, you know, for those who have partners or like consistent um, support people in the home for postpartum about how it's important it is for them to be in tuned to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, and you see that growth again, when you start having more kids, like you said, he was like so much more like, okay, I know, like, I also grew from that experience. I know now right. like what I can, I can, I can do to help support her because it is hard to say I need X, Y, and Z. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah, so well. hard. <laughs> Especially um, with the, the first, um, with our first baby, I remember there were nights where I would get so frustrated because I was breastfeeding on demand. And when I would wake up in the nighttime, I would, you know, get up and change the baby and feed her and put her back to sleep. And I would get frustrated because I'm like, yo, bro, you need to get up. Like, <laughs> sleeping too good. Something. This is not going to work for me because I'm already <laughs> And he looked at me, he's like, why, why would you want me to wake up when you're already awake? Like, you're already awake to feed her. So you want me to wake up so you can... So I can change her and then just get right back in bed. And I was like, yes, that's what I want. And and when I look back on it. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to look at me. Be awake, bro. Solidarity. Solidarity. We are up. <laughs> right. We are up. We are up. When I'm up, you're up. <laughs> when I look back on it in that moment. Not to say that that's not a good plan for some parents, but I was being a little bit irrational because I was asking him for help at the wrong times. Mm. Like I felt mm. that if I, it's different if you have a um, a bottle fed baby because anyone could feed them, so that's different. But when yeah. you're like, breastfeeding, and uh, yes, you are already awake, you might as well change the diaper and then just let your husband help in a different area. Yes. Like do laundry, you know, do this. And so with that second postpartum phase, he had figured it out. He had figured out, okay, I know I can take a huge load off of her if I cook breakfast, feed, you know, our daughter, 
and um, cook dinner mm -hmm. and you know, handle the errands, run to the store, um, make sure that she's got her water and make sure, you know, I can bring stuff to her so she's not constantly walking around. Those were the things that, that helped a yes. whole lot. His cooking is pretty good. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you say, um, like, when to help. That's so, I don't know why I was like, ding, in my head. Um, but you're right, like, if I, if I am nursing and I'm up, like it, it is, and especially if you have more than one children, it might be more helpful for you to stay asleep. So then right. in the morning, cause baby's probably going to speed it up. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so knowing like really communicating about like, okay, this works and this doesn't work. Like this might be a time, this might be a time. Um, mm -hmm. and that's where I think post, like a little bit of postpartum planning can be really helpful like you before you know even getting to that stage thinking about like what things might come up that we might be able to already get a head start on um, yeah and just having the conversations with him about me being open and honest like look I'm frustrated today because you know I wanted to get this done but I couldn't I'm tired you know and just being open because mm -hmm. I think that a lot of couples are operating in a level of assumption like I'm yes. just gonna assume that because she's already awake why would she want me to get up you know yep. and she's over in her head like I'm assuming that you see me over here struggling <laughs> so why would you help me and then you got this tension that yes. builds. Mm -hmm. so I just need to be open about your feelings and yes open about where you need help you know All right it's vulnerability you know and sometimes we just don't want to be vulnerable but especially if you haven't had to be that much in your relationship until the children come and then it's like yeah okay. and I don't care how vulnerable you can that's a whole nother level of vulnerability after mm -hmm. you had a baby and you walking around with that like diaper size <laughs> and you smell just a little weird Not that vulnerability is a whole nother level so let's switch gears a little bit to her holistic path. So tell me more about how that started for you. Sure. So I started posting intentionally on Instagram um, about three years ago. So close to when my daughter was born. And at the time, I just come out of school and I went to school for dance and English. So I was kind of doing this blogging thing and I was just feeling it out to see what I liked, what I wanted to do, because I knew that I wanted to start building something. Um, when I was pregnant, I couldn't find a lot of spaces that were inviting for young women who were pregnant, especially um, brown women. And so I kind of mm -hmm. felt like, you know, there's all this social media space with all these people. Where are the moms? Where are the young moms? Where are the moms that have the same story as me? Um, and I, I've found that more now, but back then I couldn't find it. So I was like, I'm just going to start blogging and being on Instagram and stuff. And nothing was really catching. Like nothing was really making me feel like this is what I really want to do. It was just kind right. of a pastime, just for fun. Um, and a, a way to kind of document my journey through motherhood. And then once I started to learn about birth, 
motherhood, once I started to learn more about health and natural ways of healing, I just had this deep urge to share it. I would read a book and then I would go and get on Instagram and share exactly what I read because I felt mm-hmm. like more people need to hear this. And everybody's on social media all the time. So I'm just going to share it there. And I hope um, it doesn't fall on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. So I kept doing that and doing that. And one day, um, this was actually around the time of my doula training. So I was pregnant. I was in my doula training. And one day I woke up and I was just like, her holistic path. That's what it is. And mm. before that, I had some random name and I changed it. And it was like, I remember changing my handle and being like, wow, this is it. Like, it's all about living that holistic lifestyle where, you know, your mind is healthy, your body is healthy, your spirit is healthy. So yeah, that's where it came from. <laughs> cool. So what is the mission of her holistic path? Um, so the mission is to show people how to have holistic freedom. And when I talk about holistic freedom, I think about it like this. On this earth, we all have a body and we all have um, a mind or a spirit or a soul or some part of ourselves that we cannot see. And if our mind is happy and healthy, but our body is sick and deteriorating, then we can't find harmony. And vice versa, if we have a really healthy, healthy body, but our mind is troubled, we have mental health issues, then our life will not be, you know, the best life it can be. So we need the holistic health if we want to live the best life. Like everyone's saying, living my best life. So that's my my thing is I want it to be my best life all the way around. Not Mm -hmm. just a lot of money, not just good friends, not just mental health, but everything all together balanced. Um, so that way we can just, we can, we can really reach our fullest potential. And of course there's the focus on mother's pregnancy and birth, because I feel Mm -hmm. like that's where all of it starts. Mm -hmm. So much of it. What are some of the services and resources that her holistic path is offering right now or plan to offer? Yes. So right now I mainly offer my services as a birth doula. So attending people's births, I do prenatal and postpartum visits. And then if people have already had their baby, I do postpartum work. Um, And outside of that, I'm just continuing to shout my message from the rooftops, hoping that I continue to help people. I did just start a mom's group in my area. It's something that has just started. Oh, cool. So is that something where people meet in person or is it more, is it a virtual? Yeah. So that is an Mm in-person situation because I, I mean, I love connecting online, but I also feel like we need that real life connection, um, getting in the same room and off the phones, off the internet, so that is in person, yes. So how can listeners connect with you outside of our podcast? Sure. So main place you can find me every day on Instagram, Her Holistic Path. If you want to book me, you can go to, you can just send me an email, herholisticpath at gmail.com. Okay. 
So is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners, um, whether it be a resource, some information that you personally share um, that you've learned through your birth experiences? So just kind of like a lasting last word for everyone. Um, I would just say, just be open to the ride, the ride of life. Um, I tell, I tell my clients before they go into labor at prenatal meetings, like you want to really have a goal in mind and you want to prepare for that goal mentally, but you also just want to be open. Don't be in resistance. Um, to any mm-hmm. particular thing, just allow it because so many things happen that you know you may have thought weren't good, but they teach you such a good lesson. The last thing is I have something kind of cool happening in August, so uh-huh. they posted. It's kind of secret right now. Oh man! <laughs> they posted to my Instagram. I'll be talking about it within like the next couple weeks. Okay, one little hint. Just give us one little <laughs> teaser hint. <laughs> Oh my god, if I give a hint, I feel like it's gonna be like out of the bag. Okay. It's gonna be happening. This is actually a really good hint if you're in the birth world. It's gonna be happening probably the last week of August. Okay. <laughs> That's all. We'll take that. We'll take that. <laughs> Olivia, thank you so much for um, sharing your story with us and about her holistic path. Um, I followed you on IG for a while, and that's just like coming full circle. You know, talk to someone kind of as close as in person as you can get these days sometimes. (laughs) Um, And being able to share your birth stories with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. You have a good rest of your day. You too. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.